Hello and welcome to Movie Menu Classics, your go-to podcast for classic cinema. We're your hosts. I'm Heather. I'm Vasti. And each episode will be a spoiler-free discussion of our favorite classic movies. We'll be sharing why we recommend these films, and we're going to be sharing some fun facts while we revisit the classics we love. Today, we're going to be talking about two uh, Halloween specials, as we're going to call them. We're going to be discussing Nosferatu and Psycho. Nosferatu... Blech, I can't talk today. No, Nosferatu You're fine. Is <laughs> Nosferatu is up first. Um, it's a 1922 uh, silent German impressionist film, and it's touted to be the first uh, vampire film, um, even though I believe that's not actually true. So we'll talk more about that. Um, so from 1922, it was released in Germany. On March 4th, and then in 1929 in the U.S., it's not rated. Um, you can catch this. It's actually free on Amazon, Tubi, Voodoo, iTunes. It's on YouTube, so you can pretty much find it anywhere. It is For free. <laughs> yeah, it's free. It's public domain because it is such a classic, and it's also um, – actually, it's almost 100 years old at this point. It was directed by um, F.W. Murnau. I'm also going to horribly butcher all of these names because they're all German, so I'm going to try my best. Um, let's see. It was my, my screenplay notes by. Thank you. <laughs> screenplay by Anrik Galen and based on Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, but before we dive into the film, I just want to share a few historical tidbits of what was going on in 1922. Uh, so to start off, uh, the formation of the USSR, the, which actually stands for the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic, which I actually forgot, or just, I forgot what it stood for. Everyone just knows what the USSR was. Um, the Civil War in Ireland begins between the, national, the Irish Nationalists and the Irish Republicans. The British Broadcasting Company is formed, the BBC. The tube of Tutankhamun is discovered, and the Lincoln Memorial is dedicated in Washington, D.C. And also, a small film, Nosferatu, a symphony of horror, premieres in Berlin, which I feel silly for admitting this, but I had absolutely no idea that this was a vampire film. I've just... I'm not a film school student. I'm just a, a film enthusiast. I've seen it countless times on several top horror film lists. I've seen some of the famous imagery of the shadows and the creeping, but I, I think I just assumed that this was like a devil film. I don't know. I just, I, within the first 30 seconds, it's, you find out that it's, it's based, roughly based on... Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I've read and I really enjoy, but I felt really silly for not knowing that. It's in every description. I just never bothered to read one or or seek it out. Um, what when would when did you watch it first? Um, I caught this once, maybe ten or fifteen years ago. It was mm -hmm. just like a a late night. It was on Turner Classic Movies and like. I don't even think I'd really heard of it before. Mm -hmm. It was just, um, you know, it was like, oh, this is a 
horror classic. You should check it out. And I was like, okay. So it's kind of like a middle of the night discovery. And then come to find out it is such a critical piece of horror film um, history. Yeah. So that was really cool. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely kind of like Metropolis in the sense that you really should watch it. There's there's some pivotal silent movies that are really important to movie history and cinema and, and how we've gone from from there to here where yeah. we are in terms of cinema. So this is a, a pivotal piece, especially in the horror genre. And I like you, I'm not that into horror. Um, I mean, I, I love it. I love Halloween, but it just, I don't know. I, I'm really inexperienced with horror movies, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest. My my friends always kind of are shocked at the number of horror movies, modern horror movies I haven't seen. Like, the list is really long. Same. <laughs> movies that I need to catch up on. And any um, horror film I've watched, I've either been tricked into or I got peered pressured into it. <laughs> it's never, like, my idea to, like, hey, let's go watch. Let's watch this Whatever. Movie. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm not into them. But I, I'll give credit where it's due. And you, you just mentioned Metropolis. And I just found it really interesting that these films really came out very close in time. And how influential German cinema has been in film history. I just find that really fascinating. Yeah, I had no idea, honestly, that I, you know, I, I didn't really know that this was a German film necessarily when I saw it originally. Right. And I haven't seen it since that first time. Um, I'd never, again, I shockingly had never even really, Metropolis wasn't on my radar at all, which shocks me now that I've seen it. Right, right. Um, And I certainly didn't know. It's, it's fascinating, like you said, that it is German Impressionism and, and it's really, it's cool that, that movies have been kind of a a worldwide accomplishment and yeah it's it's you know touted to be centered in like hollywood and and la and like that's been the forefront of movie making but really at the beginning it was kind of everywhere which is really cool that played such influence on the industry and in a very short period of time really when you think about like some of those really rough cut films that you can find on youtube that were made in like I don't know, 1910 to, you know, mm-hmm. just a few years later, you have these feature films. I, I wish I would have taken a film class when I was in college. And I, I know there's a, there's a common stigma around film students, but I don't care. I would love to just, uh, what's it called when you just show up without credit, just audit. I would love to audit. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I would love to audit like a bunch of film classes at some point. Maybe I will. But in the meantime, I love just talking about these as we are right now. So the plot, Vampire Count Orlock expresses interest in a new residence and real estate agent. Is it Hutter? Hutter? Hutter's wife? I think it's Hutter. Um, I guess that's a fair description of the film. Um, I mean... I'm glad I I didn't know anything about this. I probably, and we tried to find a trailer and there really wasn't one, which is understandable because, so there's a few misconceptions about the film. Yes, it was, it it premiered in 1922, but it didn't officially make its way into the U.S. until 1929. And for that specific reason is because of copyright issues and lawsuits and things I didn't 
really think about what happened back then. It just yeah, now it makes it, sense, it, but I'm like, oh wow. I know <laughs> we hear about copyright infringement and think of it as such a modern um, concept, but yes. really. This film does have a lot of controversy in that sense. Um, oh, uh, just real quick before we move on. It's yeah. starring uh, Max Schreck, Gustav von Wangheim, and Greta Schroeder. Um, and Max Schreck is a fascinating figure in movies because he was um, one, an original like method actor. And he's from he was famous for his work on the stage for playing like strange character odd, odd spectacles on stage and okay. stage horror as much as there was um so that's why he was chosen but he was a method actor like a stage method actor um, i can so only there was... imagine what his method acting for this must have been like just super creepy i mean i was creeped out i watched well, it in the middle was... of the daytime and the he imagery was so creepy that there's actually like urban legend around this film that he was in fact a vampire <laughs> And so much so that they actually made a film about it. Oh, um, what's that called? Let me find that. No, Okay, so in 2000, they made Shadow of a Vampire, and it's a fictionalized depiction of the events surrounding the making of the film. I want to watch that. Shadow of a Vampire? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, um, Sh- Shrek is played by Willem Dafoe. Oh. Which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but it's it's based on the urban legend that he was actually a vampire. So it's it's, you know I haven't I haven't seen it. I wanted to I'm actually down to see it, yeah. Especially now that I have a new appreciation for Right the film. Yeah, I read about it and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. So there was so much of an urban legend and still to this day, I mean they made this in two thousand. So yeah. it's almost eighty years after the fact. Super cool. Um, uh, and then going back to what you were saying about um, the controversy surrounding the film. So like Vasti said, the book is based on um, 1897 um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. He's an Irish author. Now, I guess from what I've read that Murnau, the director, tried to get the rights for the film, but for whatever to the rights to the book so that they could make the film. Mm hmm. But for whatever reason, that kind of fell through. But they kind of pressed on anyway. So they tried to change, like, the names. Just and some, enough just, to... Yeah, to... change enough plot points to, like, oh, we're not we're not actually stealing this thing. But it, it wasn't really enough. Right. So Bram Stoker's widow went to court. In, um, and in 1925, she won. And under the terms of the settlement for copyright infringement, she wanted all of the copies of this film destroyed. So in Germany, all of the copies were destroyed. But luckily, as Vasi said, that it had gone to other countries like the U.S. So there was a surviving print in the U.S. where actually Dracula was in public domain at the time. So there wasn't the cop the the lawsuit and the copyright infringement laws didn't work here in the U.S. So all, all the copies weren't destroyed. But luckily, there was a copy that was able to be, um. Like all all the prints of the movie now are copies from that copy, apparently, according to urban legend about the, around this film, everything that I could find about it. And so I think that's really fascinating. But um, I know that they struggled to find the like original subtitles, and just, it was all like the American translation, the, right. the English translations of everything. Um, and also, I I I was a little um 
I wasn't bothered by the soundtrack, but then upon discovering that there, of course, the original soundtrack probably got lost. So there's several soundtracks to this film. Um, just because everything's so sloppy around how it survived and with the court cases and everything, it just, I feel like this is an incomplete film in the same, maybe in a similar way that Metropolis was incomplete until very recent when they uncovered the lost, you know, the, the missing pieces of the film. I wouldn't be surprised at all if there are still fragments of, you know, the original music or missing scenes or... Um, yeah, this I I'm not I, I I'm not hundred percent sure which version I watched because mm-hmm. I don't know how many versions or how many soundtrack versions there are. I tried to find the most authentic version I could yeah. on um, Amazon Prime. I think or we watched the same one. Yeah, but the soundtrack was honestly awful. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, um, we, we've come a long way in. Um, scoring films but it was just so repetitive and intense the whole time there's not there wasn't it was like the same thing over and over and over again and it just it, i had to like turn it down at some point it really got, it got to be too much it okay it was like it was my least favorite part i think maybe there's like a reworked version you know like the yeah, same yeah, original yeah. footage but maybe with a better soundtrack might be more interesting it just there was the same level of intensity for every moment and as we know from modern films the soundtrack makes such a huge difference like when we're you know we're going to talk about psycho the soundtrack was so pivotal to that and mm-hmm. we'll come back to it when we get to that film but it's amazing what sound effects can do actually i had a friend when i was in junior high mm-hmm. and we went to go see a scary movie together and when it was going to get intense, you know how people cover their eyes? Yeah. She would cover her ears. I've done that. And like hum. <laughs> when it gets a little too... It's me preparing... For me, it's when it's preparing for the inevitable like jump scare. Yeah. I have absolutely done the same thing where I'm kind of like... They got to want to know. But yeah, the, 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 the buildup of the music is what builds up the intensity... More than just the visual. So it is interesting what, what sound can do and how important scores are to films. Um, but this one, it was definitely on the annoying side, personally. All right, yeah. That's my least favorite part of this movie, honestly. Is the soundtrack. Yeah. So something that I probably would have lost money on, on countries that banned this film and countries that like completely embraced it. So I read that. Sweden banned it for excessive horror, and that ban wasn't lifted until the 70s, 1972 to be exact, which I've always thought of like Scandinavia as completely open and um, not, I would have never guessed that Sweden was the, the European country that banned this. And to further lose my money, the Vatican selected the film for its art category among its 45 greatest films which okay <laughs> interesting that's that's surprising because it's it is shocking it is like a horror film and there's um i mean a, a vampire is like this undead creature that brings death and hmm well maybe they were like me i thought it was a devil movie and <laughs> but that would make the vatican hate it even more <laughs> um 
so going back to the to the copies um wanting to trying to get the copies all destroyed so i came upon a, a really interesting um tidbit about that this actually wasn't the first film adaptation of, of a, a vampire movie in 1921 a film called dracula's death was released and it was also like a loose interpretation and there are no copies that have survived and there would be no proof of this film if it wasn't for some like title card or lobby cards having been found had those never been found that there would have it would have been as forgotten as bram stoker's widow wanted it to be forgotten so there really isn't much proof but there is proof that it did exist and it's just gone forever which is a bit of a shame i'm sure it wasn't very good but um, I'm wondering if she had that movie destroyed also. Maybe. Yeah. If anybody knows, please let us know. That would be really fascinating to know. Uh, I do like that this was the beginning of the the classic vampire film trope. Because um, it's been a while since I've read Bronze Stoker's um, Dracula. I also didn't realize how late that film or that excuse me that book came out so when i read that tidbit about bram Stoker's widow suing i'm like wait how old is she um yeah the book was written in 1897 so that would only be you know 20 years after so I'm like okay that makes sense that the timeline the timeline fits i don't know i think i just assumed that it was early 19th century which is that's on me but i think about that book, I don't think turn of the century, if that makes sense. Now, how close? I've never read the book. Uh -huh. So how close is this film adaptation to the book? As far as you remember, I know you said it's been a while. Since it's been a very it. long time. Um, I'm actually surprised. I, I have to reread the book. But according to my memory, I would have figured that the name changes and everything was enough to was enough of a story change or like to create a technicality the whole idea of of someone traveling to where he's at to discover if all this is true that i believe is identical or very similar and again if anybody who is an expert in the book or that's your favorite book ever please let us know if how just how close of an interpretation it is and would a copyright infringement hold up today you know what i mean yeah as far as i could tell from what i read because i was trying to figure out what was different what mm -hmm. had been changed so obviously um in, in the <laughs> book yeah he's dracula so in this film he's called count orlock mm -hmm. and then in the book, as far as I understand, he's trying to move to London. That's, yeah, and, that's, I, I believe that's similar. Okay, thing, well, in this case, he's in the movie, the film, he's trying to move to a town in Germany, which I forget the name of the town. I don't think I wrote it down. It starts with a W, I remember that, but he's trying to move to this town. In, oh, Vismar. Yes, thank you. Yeah. He's trying to move there. So that's different. Um, and they, they changed the names around things. And then the I know the ending was changed, which was actually um, 
an invention for the film, but has influenced society's perception of vampires and and the rules. I feel like there's with 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 monsters of all sorts, like vampires, will mm-hmm. werewolves, zombies. There's like a a rule book on how how they work and how to deal with them and how to kill them. Um, and this actually helped write the playbook on how to deal with vampires, which is really fascinating. That's still followed to this day. Yeah. So I guess we'll just jump to that moment. Um, this, this is a spoiler, but we decided that we feel like this is such a vital part of vampire history that it's worth the spoiler. Um, so this film is the first place this ever showed up, but they they show us how how sunlight can kill a vampire, which is not the case in the book. I'm yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I just know <laughs> how do you know what happens in the book? How vampires are killed in the book? Do you remember? Garlic has, I believe. I believe garlic has a huge role in, and some other thing. Now that we're we're confessing spoilers, blood transfusions is like a huge plot point in the book. Um, Interesting. People are bit left and right, and you 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 kind of have to get the blood out of your system to to keep from turning. And that oh yeah, so wasn't- in the book he's trying to turn. Because in the film, he doesn't, the Count Orlock's not trying to make anybody a vampire. Right. He's just trying to eat, basically. So in the book, they, he is trying to make new vampires. Like, if you're bitten. there, There's, oh, God, now I really, I'm really going <laughs> to, because I really, I remember enjoying it. I remember when, when it came to the blood transfusions, thinking like, oh, okay, they hadn't figured out blood types yet. But it was still very interesting to read through the the different perspectives so each chapter is like somebody else's perspective um so i again i have to if anyone uh can correct me on that please share but from my memory of the plot lines in the book i i felt it was different enough um from from the book and I, I, you know, they credit it in the in the film when the the first few seconds it says based on Bram Stoker's. So I guess yeah. I wonder if that's the new like newer title cards or like the American versions though. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. So it's just I'm overall. But so we haven't really much, or we haven't really talked about like the actual film, just like the controversy around it. I'm just fascinated that there were copyright infringement laws in the like the very beginning of filmmaking essentially and how influential this film was is to this day and I'm really happy to see that it's still on many top horror lists because there's you know the whole new generation multiple generations that have never seen it and will eventually see it and sometimes you can appreciate an older film with how like okay that's kind of cheesy or oh it would be made so much differently now where some of this imagery is so freaky the makeup in in count orlock's face like is so fascinating it's i'm still creeped i'm but i'm also what you would call a horror weenie 
I don't like it. I'm easily scared, but this scared me. And I'm happy that it survived the test of time, even with so much against it. Um, yeah, this film is is great at setting up, like you said, the classic horror tropes of vampires. And just there's a lot of, um, sh- I mean, it, yes, it's black and white, but there's a lot of shadow play. And it's just they, there's a lot of suspense. Like I know um, Orlock or Dracula is not on film very much. I think you know exactly how long I think you, you said in your notes, but um He's not actually, you don't see him much. There's a lot of suspense built up around him. And there's, um, you, you see shadows of him. and He's never did... blinking. I actually thought for a second, like, is that like prosthetic eyes? Or like what, how, what makeup is involved where he just had his eyes completely peeled? and Yeah, he's it... creepy. These long fingernails and just it, this thin... Um, ghostly or or dead corpse looking body and just his movement is very stiff and and it really is like the class this is this is where we get that classic film like you know precursor to like Bella Lugosi playing yes um Dracula kind of thing um so I actually it's oh go ahead I'm sorry I actually have a, a small note that might I mean, obviously, we don't have the, the transcripts of the court cases here, but I think something that is important to note is, so Bram Stoker never went to Romania. He never visited Transylvania, the Alps. Or, so everything he just described in the book is just from people that had traveled there. So he never saw it for himself. So one important, um, one very important detail is that he refers to Nosferatu. He mistakenly thought that meant vampire in Romanian. So when you title your film Nosferatu, this made up word, um, or actually I don't know if it's made up, but like the actual word for vampire in Romanian is vampir. It's just vampire without the E. So it's like a huge gap between the, I've, I would find between the filmmakers, like if you're going to name it, Name it after an inaccuracy that the author made. I, that might have been like a huge factor in what, uh, why his widow was able okay, to so win the court case. Stoker created the term Nosferatu. He referred to it, yeah. Um, thinking that it meant vampire. And it, it's not the Romanian word for vampire at all. Uh, and then Murnau, the director of the film, stole that name. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stealing your stuff and it's wrong. Excellent. Um, yeah, so actually, so if people, if you're Romanian, have you been to Romania? If Is it, an, um, is it was it ever the term? at one point and it just got lost or was it you know a mistake that's what i think is still still kind of up in the air i don't think it's ever been proven that that's a real word um but yeah that's what i came across 
that oh, it was it's a real word now. It's a mistake. It was mistakenly um, referred to as a vampire in Romania. Um, so similarly, so let's get into like the filming of this. So what I I found fascinating with the shadow play is that a lot of it looked like a stage play to me. And so F.W. Murnau, the, the director, I read that some of his influences were Nietzsche, Shakespeare, and Ibsen plays, which would make sense to me in terms of it looking like a play, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I believe there have been stage performances uh, stage productions of this, which I think could be executed really well. I've never seen it. I'd be very open to, to watching a stage version of this, of this film, um, if it happens at all or often. Um, but one small tragic thing about, about Murnau is he died in 1931 in a car accident. So he was just in his early 40s. He was really just getting started. Uh, with this film career. So I think that's that's a shame because you watch this and something that, yeah, you're right. It's almost 100 years old. We're getting to that milestone in film where the, the really influential films are starting to turn 100 and we're still talking about them. Um, I, again, with the filming, something else that I saw, found interesting is because um, it's basically impossible to film at night in 1922. So all of the nighttime films are actually filmed in broad daylight. So originally to get away from that, they tried to tint the like nighttime scenes blue so that was supposed to differentiate the, the scenes that took place during the night and the day. Now, the, uh. the version I watched did not have this tinting. So there were points where I was really confused as to whether it was daytime or nighttime. But I wasn't sure if... And I remember thinking when I was watching it, is does sunlight affect them? I don't know. Because I had that uh -huh. rule baked in, right? Because I've been trained my entire life that sunlight kills vampires. Yeah, you don't even have to be a fan of the of the genre yeah. you just kind of that's just something you pick that's up just common knowledge mm -hmm. right that's how you kill a vampire right just right. like a stake through the heart for a werewolf right so so i'm watching and i'm like okay so is this pre that idea which was interesting and i, I couldn't tell what was day and what was night at all right because the nighttime scenes were so brightly lit like it was obvious it was daytime so that was in it's interesting uh, I don't know if the tinting would have helped or how effective that was. I'm going to be interested. I want to watch a tinted version to see if that makes a difference. Oh, uh-huh. But, um, yeah, that was really interesting because I was confused as I'm like, okay, is this daytime? Is this nighttime? And you kind of had to get an idea based on what was happening in the scene. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, there's like, when once he gets to Transylvania or to go see Count Orlock, he gets to the town, like kind of below the castle. Yeah. Um, the people are really concerned about and like this this place is creepy and don't and they're talking about don't go out at night and you see a werewolf don't go yeah the town's so actually I just want to quickly interrupt about another trope that's introduced here is everybody warning you and ignoring <laughs> every warning like everybody was saying don't do it don't go and he's like oh I'm gonna go <laughs> thanks for thanks for the warning but 
I'm going to do it. And you're, you're basically screaming at the, like, I found myself kind of yelling at the, at the TV. Like, what are you doing? Well, don't go. (laughs) Um, Oh, did you know that the werewolf was actually a striped hyena? No, I didn't. And I was, I was so proud of myself. I was like, that looks like, cause First of all, it took me a minute to figure out, okay, that they want us to think that's a werewolf. Right. But also, I was like, that looks an awful lot like a hyena. And then I, so I actually paused the movie to look it up right then because I really wanted to know. Right. And I was literally like, yes, I got it right. <laughs> I was like, There's I guess there was a I hyena. love moments like that. Um, so actually, it's it's important to, to mention that the story takes place in 1938. So it takes place like well into the future. So it's not like a futuristic film, but it's not, it's not filmed in that time. Um, it was also not filmed in the Transylvanian apps, apps, <laughs> Transylvanian Alps or anywhere in Romania. It was filmed in the German cities of Lübeck and Bismarck. And some of the exteriors you could, are still intact. So if you're a super, uh, super fan of the films and I like to go to film locations. Uh, all the time so that's really cool to know that the the sets there are still intact um the transylvania part of the of the of the shots were actually filmed in northern slovakia and none of those exteriors have survived um so only in the german cities of lubbock and bismarck are still there i not sure why it wasn't filmed in Romania um but I just know that it's it's not actually on location I wouldn't be surprised if it was honestly just cost prohibitive at probably the time. like there it's a German film they're filming it in Germany it's just a it's lot closer to, yeah stay local with you know you have German actors you'd have to move a whole production I'm sure that it's was a lot, a lot more yeah it's a lot closer it's a lot closer than Romania would have been um some of the effects so those like the levitation which was freaks me out um and i would love to see a stage play of it. uh some of the effects are just achieved by just simple stop motion simple hard work stop motion photography so such as like the the levitation of the lid and the opening of the ship's hatch those like really creepy um yeah, if you haven't seen the film, um, there's different. There's a couple different points in the film where stuff kind of moves on its own, as if um, the vampire can like make it move with his mind. So he actually kind of like puts himself in his own coffin, and it it is really fascinating how, how like you know how do they get that to work? So like she said, stop motion. Um, it's pretty cool. It's a basic concept, but it was very effective. Um, so very quick, I just want to revisit um, our our small discussion, like the the meaning of the word Nosferatu. So it's it sounds like it was a made up word. It um, something I came across is the Greek word Nosphoros is translates to plague bearer, and that was kind of heard around Romania around that time and it just kind of like spread like white wildfire but it no it doesn't look like Nosferatu is an actual word hmm. so if that's if no. that's the case that would be a huge um 
that that's huge that's a huge clue in terms of like the copyright infringement they might have gotten away with the changes had it not been for that word that made up word (laughs) it's interesting that you brought up plague bear now in the i don't know if you remember but in the book is there a plague also i don't remember it would make sense if there was because i think cholera was still adamant during that time uh, I'm definitely going to reread the book. <laughs> yeah, I definitely um, want to read the book too. It's fascinating. I, I just recommended it to my husband's cousin who I I think I'm going to read it right along with her because it's been a good decade since I've read it and I enjoyed it. I bought it. Um, I've been recommending it. It's just one of those I, I didn't keep rereading for no particular reason. I really enjoyed it and the more we talk about this film and I, I want to reread that and then rewatch this to really see the if the controversy would still hold up and maybe even like dig deeper on would the laws still apply in Germany today or you know yeah some um, and I, and so I have a question for you. Speaking of controversy and plague, it all, mm-hmm. this all actually ties really well into something I wanted to ask you. Now I was reading about controversies with the film. And if if you're looking it up, there's there's talk about the theme of this film mm-hmm. being anti anti Semitic actually. So I'm wondering what you think. Do you think it's actually anti Semitic, or do you think people are just reading into it? So in the book, Dracula is I, I got this quote. He's described as tall old a tall old man, clean shaven save for a long white mustache and clad in black from head to foot without a single speck of color about him anywhere with pointed ears, sharp teeth, hook nose. So it's kind of similar to what they did in the film. He just has like these long fingernails, Mm -hmm. but he does have like the pointed ears, the hook nose. And he's, you know, you can tell even in black and white that he is corpse like, that he's devoid of color. Like he's, he's doesn't have any pigment to him. But what they're saying is um, with with Count Orlock, mm-hmm. the, the vampire in the film, with his hook nose and his claw-like fingernails and his large bald head, that it's stereotypical of caricatures of Jewish people from the time. And also his features have been compared to like being rat-like or mouse-like, which is often com- like Jewish stereotypes of the time. Like their I, looks being similar. So, so, and then, and then also with, so he kind of looks like the caricature of maybe like a creepy Jewish person. Right. And then his interest in acquiring property in Germany um, is also analyzed as preying on the fears and anxieties of the German public at the time. Um, writer Tony Magistral wrote that the film's depiction of a, uh, quote, invasion of the German homeland by an outside force poses disquieting parallels to the anti-Semitic atmosphere festering in Northern Europe in 1922. So uh, when he arrives by ship, he also brings with him in the film, he brings with him a swarm of rats, which, oh, according to this, is a deviation mm-hmm. from the source novel. Um, so he's spreading the plague throughout the town. And, you know, according to this theory of anti-Semitism, this plot element further associates, like, Orlok with rodents and the idea of, like, a Jew disease-causing agent. That's fascinating that there's, that that connection has been made. And the only thing I can 
think of this was this film did come out after World War One, and Germany lost the war, and they were looking for scapegoats as to you know why are we in the in the in the depression that we are? Kids are starving, and we need someone to blame, and that's where it started rising. So the timing actually. As soon as you were talking about some of the physical characteristics and like some of the propaganda art that Nazis would use with the hook nose, I mean, it was it was really disgusting cartoons with or caricatures with uh, hairy, huge nose, huge ears. So like not really um, corpse like, but I could see where someone who wants to make the connection can. That's what I'm wondering. Is it just I feel like you you could watch any piece of film or read any book and, you know, it'd be a kid story. Right. And you can make up or not make up, but read into like this larger overarching metaphor for something much more sinister. So it's not anything that really crossed my mind. But at the same time, in 1922, where the Germans are trying to find trying to get to get themselves up from their feet from world war one. If, if I don't know what, what the director's politics are. So I, that would actually be fascinating to. So I actually read speak on, on that uh-huh. note, I actually read that Murnau was actually open as, as much as openly as you were at the time, but he was actually openly gay so you'd think that he'd be more sensitive to like the persecution so it, of another group. It sounds like that wasn't intentional. If if that's true, because we know that you know eventually what happened uh, during World War II was that they were part of the persecuted group too. I I feel just off the top of my head, I feel like those propaganda um cartoons scapegoating Jews until this is why we're we're in the depression we are came after I have to double check that if you know um anybody who knows please let us know but I I feel like that didn't come until after the film came out like a little later, a little closer to World War Two. Maybe in like, like in the, the 30s. early thirties or late twenties. I can't. I'm not a German history expert at all. But yes, everything that you said is true. Like the 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 exaggeration of the of the of the facial features, being the uh the connection between seeing Jews as vermin that are in investing our you know our happy society we got to clean it up um that's all true that all did those parallels were made i just think i it doesn't sound like that's what this was but it's a very interesting possibility it didn't cross my mind i 100 percent agree with your assessment i don't i don't think that it was intentional I think that people are reading into it I think that that was their artistic interpretation of the book and making him creepy like right. making this vampire creepy and he was described in the book as as having the hook nose and the 
long years well, and stuff. So I so think speaking of our our connection, like if I don't I don't know where where that where some of the sources came from, but if the re-release was made and you know was released in 1929, that would map or that would kind of match up with the timeline of what I believe these propaganda issues started going out, which is a good seven years after the original release. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. maybe those who saw it in the in the late twenties, early thirties saw something that wasn't wasn't meant back in 22 i could be completely wrong but i'm just i'm just kind of brainstorming with you i think it's a it's a great uh question i have no idea and i i want to investigate more on that yeah i'm wondering if that film shadow of vampire um talks about that at all like the what's happening at the time Mm -hmm. but i think you're right if you're watching this let's say 1930 1931 and and the at the time in society that's what's on your mind that you might read more into this film than it was intended for because it, mm-hmm. it, to me you know if like me and my friends are gonna make this creepy horror movie like you know we might we're probably just focusing on the horror of it all and we're not trying to implant a political statement right so yeah, I'm gonna so, go. I, my in my heart, I feel like it was a horror for horror's sake, and not not a political talking point. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I agree with you, and I'm not saying that I'm not open to learning more about it. Um, if that is in fact true, but my my initial my initial impression is that I don't think that's what that was. Okay. Uh-huh. So final thoughts on Nosferatu. What do you think? Um, don't watch the trailer, but definitely see it. If you're like me, who've just you've just heard of this title, you know it's classic. Um, I mean, there's still a few days until Halloween. I'd say go for it. It's so, it's really fascinating. Uh, I love shadows and German expressionism, and it, it's sort of like Metropolis. Just it, it was easy to watch for me. Even with, you know, some awkward transitions, like what you were saying about the um, not being able to film in the, in, at nighttime because of, of technical issues. But on that, I also want to add that I remember watching this, this episode of the Brady Bunch where they were in Hawaii and they were all hiking at this volcano, this cursed volcano at night. And it was clearly filmed in the daytime. So it's something that I think many film productions whether it was tv or film just adopted for a very very long time because that wasn't you know until the 70s you're still filming during the daytime to make it look at like at night um film students know the proper terminology so i apologize um if you know what we're talking about but i think it was ahead of its time i think we owe a lot of the cliches, whether you would love them or hate them, but they're still implemented now. And, you know, nearly a hundred years later, we're still talking about this film. And I'd say, I think go for it. You don't, even if you're like me who hates horror films, I think this is an important one to see. 
I think that pretty much sums it up. Uh, it is important to see. And although it's not a very long film, actually. No. And although there's some, like you said, there's some awkwardness. And, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not particularly fond of the soundtrack. It is just so interesting to see where these things originated. And it, it is a, a suspenseful film. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, it's really fascinating in that sense. There And there is, for me, there was some comedic moments almost uh-huh. that were like kind of silly in this because from from a modern perspective we're looking back and it was you know like silent film can be very over dramatic um and that's just you know going with the time the time and and accepting how things were filmed and acted at the time um but there was there were some like silly silly moments we were laughing at which kind of broke the tension um but yeah it's definitely um worth a watch for just for the the perspective of where these tropes came from so. the influence of it yeah for sure yeah i agree okay so now all right well to... m- moving on yeah you want to tell us about the next film psycho so i will say the whole approach of this podcast being spoiler free and trying to convince friends family whoever is listening about movies you may not have seen psycho is a hundred percent takes the credit of why I believe so strongly in kind of keeping this a little bit spoiler free because I saw it maybe two years ago for the first time at an arc light theater where they were just um, showing classic films on on the big screen and I hadn't seen it. Uh, My husband took me and he said one of his favorite theatrical experiences was watching being with someone who had no idea what the twists and turns of this film was and it was one of my favorite memories of just like what how did I not hear about this because you hear about certain movies and you think you know so like I knew what the you know the godfather's a mop movie even though it took me a very long time to also see that one um you hear of certain things like, or um, Citizen Kane, you, you hear Rosebud, but you don't know what it, you know means. What it <laughs> means exactly. But like, you, you know, certain things about certain films, even if you haven't yeah. seen it. So, and I feel like Psycho, I mean, did you know going in about the shower scene? Because I feel like that is, is the most classic horror movie scene in existence i knew about at least the concept of of her standing in the shower screaming and like a a knife like i feel like that's classic movie horror yes i knew i knew about the shower scene it's also been parodied to death on everything that i that was influential for me so like the simpsons animaniacs you know kids kids programming that probably shouldn't have been referencing some of these classic films but like I that's how I learned about the Goodfellas that's how I learned about so many that and actually you know not plugging anything but Animaniacs just came back with like new new episodes so I'll probably know, be so checking excited. that out but so anyway so back to Psycho I was so happy that there was still something out there that I had no idea. How did I go this far? Especially having so many friends that love cinema. 
that went to film school that just didn't accidentally spoil this for me. And there's sometimes, you know, if someone gets spoiled, a common defense is, well, that film came out, you know, 56 years ago. It's not my fault that you didn't know, you know. But after watching this, I've been so careful to just always assume no one has seen something whenever I bring up a film, if I want to discuss it. So I'll always ask. And going back to my pet peeve of people reacting like, how have you not seen? I just told you I haven't seen it. You know, let's, let's put the shaming aside. I'm not perfect. I still sometimes react like that to some of my favorite films, but I've become much more aware after my, have, my whole too. experience with Psycho. It was just such a joy that something that came out in 1960 was managed to be spoiler-free my entire life. And it was a joy, and I'm so happy. And with that, I'll, I'll dive into, into this, because Hitchcock obviously had a huge role in that experience, that non-spoiler experience for this film in particular. So before we, we dive into, into the nitty-gritty of the film, so 1960, just a few things going on in the world at the time. So President Eisenhower signed the Civil Rights Act of 1960, which primarily dealt with voter disenfranchisement. So there was a couple of civil rights acts. So this was particularly the one of Civil Rights Act of 1960. The Summer Olympics in Rome were the first to be televised. The first televised presidential debate occurred between JFK and Richard Nixon. JFK won the presidential, ended up winning the presidential election. He's also the first Catholic and youngest president to be elected. I have to just make a footnote. He was not the youngest to become president. He was the youngest elected. The youngest to become president was Teddy Roosevelt at age 42. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird was published. The American Heart Association started linking smoking to heart disease and death in middle-aged men. And Psycho premieres in New York City. So some uh, topic we didn't talk about the last time because in 1922 there were no Academy Awards. So, shockingly, I don't think this won anything. Um, so, Best Director, it got nominated for Best Director, but it lost to Billy Wilder for The Apartment. Best Supporting Actress actually went to Elizabeth Taylor, not Janet Lee. The Best Cinematography for Black and White went to Sons and Lovers, and the Best Art Direction for Interior Design went to the apartment. So it was nominated for those four, did not win any. And it is apparently the current oldest movie to have an R rating. The budget was only a hundred and, or I'm sorry, 800, roughly $807,000. So he wanted to shoot this for under a million, which even for back then, that was already starting to be unheard of. But it made. Well, I feel I, nobody really had any confidence in this film, right? Like he just really wanted to make it. He really wanted to make it, and I'm really happy that it was made in black and white, because I don't think it would have had the same 
punch in color just because it's still a little archaic for some of the special effects. I think it would have looked very cartoony. I think I would have been distracted by a lot of the details, costumes and, you know, props and the car colors. I think, so we've discussed when black and white movies are filmed for budget reasons. Like, okay, you could either choose to shoot on location in Rome or film in color and it has to be on set. This was 100% intentional. This was to be filmed in black and white. And I think it was the right decision. It's, I mean, I know it sounds stupid to say like, Hitchcock knew what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Shockingly, Shockingly, he got it right. So anyway, oh, so hey, I where, watched Where'd that. you watch this? I was just on... about to say. Oh, okay. Um, Read my mind. I watched it on the Peacock Network. I signed up for a free trial and I just, you know, my husband said a reminder when to cancel it for a free trial, but that's where I watched it. Um, uh-huh. But where did you watch it? I, w- I rented it on Amazon, okay. um, which I know you can also rent it on Voodoo, iTunes, YouTube, Google Play. It's all, I believe, like three ninety nine. Um, But then also... Where did I just, uh, I guess maybe it was the Peacock Network, because we also just got that, um, like the free trial or whatever, and I was like, oh, I could have just watched it here. But we did it like a couple days after I watched it, so, say la vie. Yeah. So it was released in September 8th of 1960, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, screenplay by Joseph Stefano, 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 um, and it's based on the novel Psycho by Robert Block. So here's the plot. A Phoenix secretary embezzles $40,000 from her employer's client, goes on the run, checks into a remote motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. I watched the film without knowing any of that. Um, So I feel it's not really a a spoiler, but I mean, if, if you know anybody that you, so if you're Someone like my husband, who is a super fan of this film, knows all the trivia, and I know there's a lot of super fans that might be a little um, on extra alert about our our facts. Please know that it is coming from love. It is coming from admiration, and feel free to correct us on anything we may have gotten wrong. so I, I would say if you want to take anybody who is in my position that just doesn't know anything about this film, I'd say don't show them the trailer. Don't tell them what it's about. Just say, like, just give me an hour and a half or however long this film is and just just enjoy it. Just watch it. Um, yeah, because I, I didn't know any of this when I went in and it was just blown away. I'd say avoid all trailers until after you watch the film. Because I, I did like the the trailer with Alfred Hitchcock, but with YouTube and there being so many different types of trailers, I think it's very easy to get spoiled by this film with what's mm-hmm. out there. Um, yeah, and it's been it's 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 such a beloved film that there we like when we were trying to find a trailer to watch this. There's so many things that people have made as like an homage to the film. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just, it shows way too much. It's not like if you haven't seen the film and you don't want to be spoiled, I would 
agree and not recommend not watching any trailers. And Alfred Hitchcock was adamant about no spoilers, um, which I want to dive into afterwards. I guess we'll finish up with the who who was in this film, Vasti. Anthony Perkins, Vera Miles, John Gavin, Janet Lee, and Martin Balsam. Which, by the way, I just want to say how much I love Anthony Perkins in this. I absolutely would have... Everything that went down in the film, I think, is because of him. Like, I had no idea who he was, number one. I know there's been several sequels that he's in. I haven't watched them. I don't know if I should. If you're a super fan, please let us know. Like, are you going to come in and say, like, oh, my God, don't watch it the way Godfather fans say about Godfather 3? <laughs> um, or is it something we should check out? Um, I, so far, I, I kind of want to keep preserve my feelings for this film as is. And I haven't wanted to watch the sequels. Yeah, there's also, like, a TV show on Netflix, Bates Motel. Which... Oh, I've heard that's decent, though. So, well, yeah, so I have my roommate mm-hmm. um, was she's never seen Psycho, but she's watched Bates Motel. Um, oh, that's interesting. And she really loved the show. Yeah. And I was asking her because I didn't want to give away anything right. about the film, but I was asking her the basic plot line of that. And it seems it's it from from what I could get from her without prying too hard by giving away things but I wanted to see if if it spoiled the spoil like the film and yeah. it, I don't think it does oh that so I think you can kind of watch them independently and it doesn't give away the huge spoilers right. for the film psycho so but she she thought it was great I've heard other rave reviews about Bates Motel so it's definitely on my watch list okay yeah it'll it be on my watch list too so I was talking to another super fan of this film and so talking about how Hitchcock was adamant about not wanting people to spoil this film, creating this strict no in as if the film has started, nobody is allowed in. So I wasn't under, I wasn't aware that there really wasn't that concept of movie times back then. So like when I, when I started going to the movies, it wasn't, I didn't grow up going to the theater until I was like 10 and it's only because a small dollar theater opened near the park where I was taking swim lessons. And so because it was a dollar, it was just movies that had been out for a couple of months. So we'd always get all the films a little bit late. Um, we'd just kind of show up and then stay until the next part of the... And so like if I walked in in the middle of Aladdin, my mom and I would just stay until where we caught up on the next showing. So it was just kind of like open seating. It was, it was, there was no hard attendant rules the way you see in, in plays. I mean, I guess you could technically still do that now if you sneak into a theater or into a, a film, but so like arc like theater is, is still really strict with, you know, not selling you a ticket if the, if the showtime has started. So anyway, it never occurred to me that that's how theater going was at a certain time. Just you show up, you stay and catch up and leave. Well, yeah, uh, uh, apparently, actually, Hitchcock's concept of no late admission Mm -hmm. was controversial at the time. Um, It was one of the first films um, to do that. 
Um, I guess um, I don't. I'm gonna mispronounce it. Diabolique was in oh, um, yes. France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was like the first film to to really to, uh, have that strict rule about no late seating. Um, Side note: I highly recommend Le Diabolique. It is. It goes actually pretty hand in hand with with Psycho. Okay. It's excellent. Don't let the fact that this is a that that's a French film um dissuade you the subtitle from what i understand it. it came out just a little bit before psycho right like it's pretty around the same time period was that would be excellent i it sounds yeah, like I don't know. it was I have to check it out but it's but a, i've it's never a, heard of that film until doing research for psycho it's a fantastic um, film definitely watch it it these two okay. films basically did for the bathroom what jaws did for the ocean Oh, like it's just it's just it's so freaky. It's awesome, but not for like <laughs> if someone like me can handle it, like you can handle it. <laughs> so Hitchcock, and I'm actually not even gonna say why mm-hmm. he, he was just very adamant that if you didn't see it from the beginning, you have to wait. That yeah, it, it just you had to watch it. And at first, theater owners were really opposed to this idea, like they thought they were gonna lose business. They just were not happy with this concept. But after like the first day, the owners were enjoying long, long lines of people. So they were fine with it. And then actually every theater that showed this movie had apparently a cardboard cutout installed in the lobby of Sir Alfred Hitchcock. And he's pointing at his wristwatch and he has a note saying, quote, the manager of this theater has been instructed at the risk of his life not to admit to the theater any persons after the picture starts any superior attempts to enter by side doors fire escapes or ventilating shafts will be met by force the entire objective of this extraordinary policy of course is to help you enjoy psycho more than alfred hitchcock i have another so cardboard was- cut out um that has something similar but the exact words is we won't allow you to cheat yourself you must see Psycho from beginning to end to enjoy it fully. Therefore, do not expect to be admitted into the theater after the start of each performance of the picture. We say no one, and we mean no one. Not the manager's brother, not the president of the United States, or the Queen of England. God bless her. Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> oh, I love it. So I guess maybe there were different slogans. That's really cool. Yeah. I. Um, so yeah, going back to, to the way I went to the theater, it just, it never occur to me until doing research for this film that there was a point in time where movie times weren't really a thing. You just kind of showed up when you had time and you caught what you can. Where now we're so conditioned to, you know, oh, I don't want to miss trailers or we have to get there at a certain time. Like just staying for the next showing is an option anymore, really. So I love Yeah, I, I grew up very conditioned to like show like I guess because I grew up around theater, mm-hmm. but you, you know, you, sh- you, you only watch things from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And, and the only time that that was ever ruined for me happened to be the sixth sense. No! Yeah. So we got, this is totally a tangent about something yeah. else, but, um, we used to look at movie times in the newspaper when I was a kid because, you know, it was pre-internet or yeah. whatever. So, so, and besides calling the theater, that's the only way to find out the show times. So we wanted to go see the sixth sense and we get to the theater and we purchase a ticket. Let's say for the four o'clock showing. Right. 
and we get the ticket and we go into the theater and the movie already started and we're like oh that's weird we didn't realize where in the movie it was though Mm -hmm. but it was like 40 minutes before the end so the end happens and we're like okay oh no it wasn't significant because we'd only watched 30 or 40 minutes of this film and we went out to the lobby and we're like what the heck and it turns out the movie had started, like, the showtime was off by, like, an hour or something. And w- w- my dad was so mad. He's like, why would you sell us the ticket to this film and not tell us, hey, by the way, it started, like, an hour ago. Right. You really want to go? That's So they valid. let us in. So then we had to go. We had to saw the beginning. And then, you know, when we caught up to where we were, I'm like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> that <laughs> I know. Sucks. I feel like that Sixth Sense will probably want to, like, the last of those like iconic moments of like we didn't see that Chloe like I I'm blank have you right seen now. have you seen 50 first dates yes okay you know how she okay if you've never seen 50 first dates um Drew Barrymore's character her memory resets every day she's basically um, like, Dory. she got yeah. into an accident and so, like, every day since the accident her memory resets so like every day she thinks it's her dad's birthday so they 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 kind of like redo it and they she's like, Oh, I got you the sixth sense for your birthday. And they're like, Okay, we're gonna watch it again. That's funny. And then at the end, her mind is so blown. She's like, Oh my god, I can't believe like <laughs> I don't wanna spoil it yeah. if you haven't seen it. Um But they're all just like, Yeah. <laughs> it is very it's very much like psycho where the end is very like shocking. Yeah. Oh my god, know. to be a fly on the wall during that like first during those first few screenings when like oh yeah people were starting to get used to okay like and you know it, and it this, was good marketing it built hype and, it makes yeah people, and like, psycho psycho is is still to this day like i saw it 10 15 years ago and it re-watching this i didn't remember most of the movie like, I didn't remember even, like, the plot you read right, that right. a secretary embezzles $40,000. For some reason, I didn't even remember. I just remembered, like, the famous shower scene and then, like, kind of the basic end. Right. But not how any of the plot worked around it. So it was kind of like watching it for the first time. Yeah. And I, I was – I remember thinking before watching this, when you were suggested Psycho, I was kind of like, oh, that film's overrated. That's what I said in my yeah, head yeah, yeah. when you suggested I'm like, okay, fine. It's overrated, but it's a classic. We'll watch so it. Fine. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I was super into it and like it was suspenseful. And I can imagine at the time how terrifying this film actually was. My mom said she saw it in theaters and she could not shower when she was home alone for a long time. Well, because you think about it and it's something that Janet Lee um, in interviews has said, like, you don't realize how vulnerable you are when you're bathing yeah like you're just in there alone naked and by yourself um yeah so also when i admitted um just a few minutes ago that when i saw this for the first time just a few years ago i'm a hitchcock fan i love i own north by northwest vertigo rear window um, I love Spellbound, which is really hard to find with, with Gregory Peck and Ingrid Bergman. But, like, I was a Hitchcock fan. It was just the birds 
and Psycho were just two his two most famous ones that I just never got around to. I was never boycotting them. I don't know what I was waiting for. Um, it was just one of those things, like as we've discussed so many times on this podcast, that we just never made the time for it. I never made the time for it. Um, so I mean, it happens. Even if you're a fan of the genre, just sometimes you just don't get around to it, and you're right, rewatching this, there were still a few certain things that I had forgotten. Like, oh, that person becomes a victim, that person becomes a victim, I forgot about that. Um, it's just very exciting to see. And I keep emphasizing that I'm so happy it's in black and white. He said it was because he thought it'd be too gory, where now I think modern times film fans, it, it just, the special effects probably wouldn't have had the same oomph to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. And a there's a master play on thinking you've seen something that didn't actually occur. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we never see, you know, the we never see flesh being cut. Right. That's something I appreciate about or older horror films. Mm-hmm. Or you don't need the blood and gore. Or like Perry Mason. Like I grew yeah. up in classic Perry Mason. There's never blood. There's never it's it's everything's implied. You don't it's not necessary for me. Like I, I'm not even fond of like modern films in the sense that it's just so bloody and gory oh, for that shock gore. factor. Yeah. It's not I for me it's superfluous. It's like unnecessary. It's just like, oh, how edgy can we be? No, it's not necessary. Right. You get the idea. I mean, you get the... So, the the shower scene, I'm assuming everyone knows about, okay? Someone is killed in the shower. Sorry, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you don't, you don't see it, like you said, you don't see it happen, but you hear sounds and you see reaction from the person and it, it's... There's there's a suspense there that's built up that that anything else is completely unnecessary. And I think you're right. Black and white. Like Alfred Hitchcock was a master of storytelling in this format, this style. He had this niche and this talent for suspense that this is the classic Hitchcock example of this. Yeah, and he's done so many color films. So I I do trust that it was... It wasn't a budget thing. He made the decision to make this in black and mm-hmm. white. Um, so, Heather, tell us about, like, the whole drama between, like, the novel and just the beginning of. Oh, well, so Hitchcock really wanted to make this film and people weren't really into it. Um, so the budget was really small for this film. But uh, Hitchcock actually, so he bought the rights to the novel anonymously from Robert Block for only $9,000. And then they went and bought as many copies of the novel as they could to keep the ending secret. So so preemptively, he was trying to make this spoiler free, um, which I think is really fascinating. Like that is Mm -hmm. the long game right there. So he went he went out specifically and tried to get as obtain as many copies so people didn't know um what this film was about and then also again with the budget constraints like he i have the numbers here specifically he wasn't paid very much um 
Hold on one second. So I know about Anthony Perkins. Um, he was paid forty thousand dollars, which I don't know if it was a coincidence that that's also the exact amount that the that was embezzled in the film. Like Anthony Perkins is uh, Anthony Perkins. The the young man at the Bates Motel. Oh 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 right. Um, Janet Lee took a pay cut to, in order just to work with Hitch, Hitchcock. So like, yeah, money was not being thrown around. Like it didn't matter that Hitchcock was already established. It, it, it just, it was, there was a lot of complications with it. Like even it was released by Paramount, but it was produced by Shamley and it was filmed at Universal. So like that, that sounds like a whole lot of lawsuit risks right there, or, you know, how studios get reading uh, about studios loaning certain actors and whatnot. Like that all just sounds really messy. Um, yeah. But then again, I'm not in the industry, so I don't know how common that is, but reading that, I'm like, all right, let me, let me get this straight. Okay. Who released it? Who produced it? And where was it filmed? Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, okay. Hitchcock really wanted to make this movie. He actually deferred his salary. So he had a standard salary mm -hmm. of $250,000. Um, so in lieu of that, he, he just asked for 60% of the movie's gross. And then Paramount was like, they, they didn't think the movie was going to do well. Mm -hmm. So they agreed to that. <laughs> <laughs> Which... His personal earnings from the movie exceeded $15 million. And if you adjust for inflation, that's like over $120 million for like 2016. So I think he, you know, even though he originally deferred his salary, he definitely got the better. The gamble of that deal. paid off. And then, um, as you said, Anthony Perkins' salary was $40,000, which is, like you said, the amount of money, right? So in 1960. The $40,000 equivalent is approximately $347,000 in today's money. And you know what? So that I say well-deserved. I think he was the best part of this film. This could have easily have had a different effect if it was. Yeah. So apparently, the, um, I haven't read the book, but apparently um, the description, the physical description of, of him in the book He's basically the opposite. He's like this awkward, heavy set, sweaty, bald guy. Where Anthony Perkins is, you know, he's he's very charming, very trusting. Yeah, he has this innocence about him. Mm -hmm. And I just I think that, I mean that was my initial takeaway the first time I saw it and then rewatching it is just like he is this film. Even though we all yeah. know the, the classic shower scene, like, no, he carries this film. And I, I adore every frame he's in. Um, and I, I mean, maybe we should have had a, a special spoiler podcast because there's so much I want to talk about. I um, know, right? There's there's a lot with this film. Um, do I have a couple myths for you around oh, this film. Yes. So popular myths emerged that in the shower scene that ice cold water was used to make um lee's scream realistic 
But on numerous occasions, numerous interviews, she's denied that. And she said, you know, the crew was actually very accommodating using hot water. That scene um, actually took a week to shoot, which I know we're going to go more into mm-hmm. specifics on that. Um, another myth was that graphic. And this is crazy to me that this was actually a myth that's popular. Uh huh. But that graphic designer, Saul Bass, directed the shower scene. Oh, but yeah. Been- I read that, too. This has been refuted by several figures associated with the film. Like, he storyboarded it, right? Like, that's all he did. Like, he he made the storyboard, but he didn't direct it. But, like, Janet Lee was like, absolutely not. She said, quote, absolutely not. I've emphatically said this in any interview I've ever given. I've said it to his face and in front of other people. Oh, that, that Lee wasn't even... There was also the... A myth that she her a body double was used for a lot of the filming of that but she's like no i was there hitchcock was there we're there for the whole week <laughs> we're together there's no way that um someone else directed it or that there was a body double so that was it's apparently all a myth and then um hilton a green the assistant director also refutes the claim that bass directed it he said there is not a shot in that movie that I didn't roll the camera on and I can tell you that he was there. And then also Roger Ebert, mm-hmm. a longtime admirer of Hitchcock, says, and this this is very rings true for me. It seems unlikely that a perfectionist with an ego like Hitchcock would let someone else direct such a scene. And that really sums it up. Yeah, like, there's I no agree way someone else directed it. And he wouldn't have I doubt he would have let someone else stand in for her either. So um, right now that you just mentioned that about the the myth of the body doubles, that's actually uh, according to um, there's a documentary on Hitchcock. It's kind of old. It's called The Making of Psycho, and it's on the Peacock app. Um, if you want to watch it, it's really fascinating. So this was my first time watching it. So she's interviewed about about that shower scene, and she says there was one there to kind of test out what could be shot. What was translucent? Like, how translucent was the water? How much did the water block in terms of, mm-hmm. like... Um, or the shower curtain. For the shower curtain. So they hired a professional nude model who was comfortable enough to, to kind of stand in for those, for those shots. And mm-hmm. for her shots, when they were ready for, to, for, to bring the actress in, to bring in Janet Lee, um, costuming... And her, they they kind of came up with the with the pros no not a prosthetic but like a like a second skin because anything that they were trying to to hide her nudity wasn't working so like no strapless this or whatever so they came up with like sort of like an adhesive um, it like was a the, second uh, like skin. the the original pasties right yeah. <laughs> Um, so it was, it's kind of like a combination of both. So they did hire a professional nude model to to test out how translucent, how much could be shown um, between the, the water and the curtain shots before bringing in Janet Lee. So I, I thought that was really fascinating too. Um, and just also, like, I could only imagine the shock of people insisting that they saw nudity when they probably, you know, when they in fact didn't, it it just, the cuts. So let's talk about the shower scene. So you said it it takes, it took seven days to shoot. It's a three minute shower scene. There's 77 camera angles and 50 cuts. 
And in that documentary, they talk about the 50 cuts feeling like each cut was a stab. Um, so it plays around with the movement and I, um, I kind of lost my thought in the middle of that, but, um, so let's talk about the, the, the rest of the shower scene and the music. Cause I think Ooh, we talk mm-hmm. about the importance of music in film and how this almost didn't have a soundtrack. The scene almost didn't have that. So I the, do tell. I haven't heard this. So the composer Bernard Herman insisted um, that a soundtrack be used. Uh, so the soundtrack was all strings, which I don't believe at that time had ever really been done. Um, it either be full orchestra or whatever. Um, so, and I, I forgive me, super fans of the film. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna miss a few details in, in telling this, but so the the so Hitchcock did not want music in this. He composed this this segment of music, and then as soon as the it, they were put together, like all right absolutely do it and i believe he got a pay raise from this yeah that's fascinating that hitchcock originally didn't want the sound because the score is the the leading factor in the suspense and actually so he he doubled her um herman's salary apparently hitchcock was so impressed with the sound and then this is such a hitchcocky quote but he said 33 percent of the effect of psycho was due to the music which I 100% agree. Yes. That is what builds the suspense. And, and it's, fun it's fact, so influential during the film to how you're feeling about the moment, moment to moment. And fun fact, I know that John Williams was influenced by this film when making the score for Jaws. Because they both have that same, like, just a very simple piece of music warning you of danger. And you just, you feel it in your bones. Like, oh my God, something's about to happen here. And yeah, and it's I amazing think- how far music has co- had come, scoring a movie had come in just, I mean, just 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. So Nosferatu is the 20s. We didn't get it in America till, till the 30s. So 30 years later, we're going from the soundtrack of Nosferatu, which is just... It's just music that kind of fits the like scary genre almost. It's mm-hmm. not it's not influencing how you're feeling. It's not taking you on a journey. But in this film the the the, the score danger. is taking you on a journey. It's it's um it's letting you know how you're supposed to feel. It's building up the suspense to the next moment. So it's fascinating how far we came and the really like 30 years later. That's I- fascinating. So my closest friends know how much of a super fan of Bambi I am. So Psycho, Jaws, and Bambi for me are the three films that I associate danger with simple music, which is, I don't know how influenced these composers were by the, the man theme in Bambi. It's very similar with like the, Mm. the danger when he's in the middle it's like a and it's just it builds up tension every time there's danger and that came out in Mm -hmm. you know 
42. So I think there's enough time spaced in between these three films that I would be very surprised if they weren't directly influenced from each other. There's like a 20 year gap between each film, um, which I think is pretty interesting. And it makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it's, and then, I mean, composers always have, I mean, any artist has influence of other things that they've watched, right? So you're early in your career, you're watching something, it inspires you, it's going to influence the work that you're making. So right. that, that really makes a lot of sense. And it is, it, when you learn how moving music can be, and it could trigger, and, and yeah, using it, it manipulates, yeah, it manipulates your feelings as a film, as a film goer of what you're supposed instead to of, be feeling between yeah. transitions. Instead of sound just being there, you can use it as a storytelling element. Where, which yeah. is why sound design is so important. And we don't really realize how important it is. But if you, you know, you take this, if you mute a scary movie, and I've done this just out of theory, like I was home alone trying to watch a scary movie once and I was having trouble getting through it. So I actually muted it after my friend had said like, oh, it's the music that makes you scary when she covered her ears. Right. Um, and I tried it and I'm home alone trying to watch a scary movie. And I was like, oh, it's not scary at all because there's no suspense. The jump scare isn't a scare because you weren't anticipating it. You weren't told to, yeah, to yeah, guard to yourself. Yeah, to be nervous. <laughs> exactly. I agree with that. And actually, a friend of mine started just experimenting with um, scary movies and sound. So same thing, just for fun. Put on a scary movie, but then on his phone or I forgot um, another source of, of sound started playing like the old timey Western music <laughs> and it made it funny and very watchable for a wimp like me. Um, that's so that's funny to, to, to link your point directly. Music is everything, especially in thrilling and intense thrill moments and suspense and horror films. Music is everything. And or even like something like Gone with the Wind, where there was at a time there was just kind of like that soft music um, playing in between dialogue, and it, I found it distracting. Um, where yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't were, manipulate. They're not using it. It's not using it effectively. It's just like ambiance, basically. Right. That's exactly right. Um, so, is there any? Oh, so. I think I keep saying I'm not in the industry. I don't know the terms because I, part of me is still kind of uh, a little, a little um, uneasy about having certain perspectives because I, I maybe I don't feel qualified enough. But I'm I'm speaking as a film lover, a film goer. So let, I want to talk about some of the camera angles that I love in the shower scene. I don't know the proper terms, but one of my favorite scenes was just for the technical part of it is the the camera being placed underneath the shower and just like in your background yes which i realized that is not like a glowing halo <laughs> behind you that it is actually a shower head water. it's a shower head <laughs> it but took me a while to figure that out <laughs> something as simple as there are no droplets falling on the camera lens like, how did they do that? And um, in, in the making of Cycle, they do get into the technical parts of it. But just something as simple as that it makes me... Did you 
do you remember how what they said because i think i had that oh please share um okay so alfred hitchcock had a six foot diameter shower head made so it's a giant shower head so it plays with perspective that's awesome yes <laughs> and then they blocked up the center jet so that the water sprayed in like a cone Rome. past the camera lenses without any water spraying directly at it so thank you for sharing even, that <laughs> no problem i thought it was really fascinating too because but it's cool because you don't realize that it's six feet Laura, like the the picture behind you just seems like a normal shower it does. head yeah but it's cool how like that that's the movie magic of of playing with perspective and that made me like, like that scene even more <laughs> that's super cool i love it um oh there's so there's a lot of controversy other than you know just like show times and not spoiling associated with the film and so nudity <laughs> Yeah, nudity, the the sexual aspects of this were a big deal. Like, for instance, um, it's unprecedented in its depiction of sexuality and violence even. But the opening scene, the very first scene, Janet Lee and whatever his face is. I don't remember which actor it is. But her lover. Mm-hmm. Um, so the character Sam and Marion are shown sharing the same bed. And she's in her like, underwear and slip. Which is, you know, you don't even see married couples sharing a bed on screen in no, they're, movies, you know. They're Lucy matching pajamas. <laughs> twin beds. Yeah. So not only were they on the same bed, lovers, unmarried, in a hotel room, but she's in her underwear. Also, I don't know if you noticed in that scene, she's wearing white, white undergarments, right? And then after she steals the money, black, we see her later. And yes, we see her later. She's wearing black undergarments. Um, she also has a, a light handbag in the beginning and a dark handbag. It's just uh, Alfred Hitchcock was playing with that. She's kind of been like tainted by her her crime. Her sin. Um, yeah. Giving into her sins. And and also just the, the the fact that she was trying to wash away her sins. Yeah, because that's what makes that's, very true. that's what makes that 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 part of the story kind of tragic. Is like she. Well, is that a little in cases of spoilers? Well, yeah, we don't want to go um, into spoilers, but it makes a lot of sense. Like she she is. It's hard to talk about without spoiling it, but it's like she had made a decision, and then and no one's gonna know what that decision is. Very true. It's it's sad. Also, oh, actually, so you. We're started talking about the the opening scene, so going back to some of the technical parts of the film, how ahead of his time he wasn't just it just wasn't gonna gonna work out just because the technology hadn't been invented yet. So mm-hmm. originally, when it's panning uh, when it's panning from from side to side, uh, getting a a clear view of the the skyline. He wanted that um, shot on a helicopter for the title shot. And they just Uh couldn't figure it out. Like, it just, it was too shaky. It was, it just, it wasn't going to work out the way he wanted. Where nowadays, yeah, you could do that, no problem. Um, But that was his original intent. And so he just had to settle for just, you know, side to side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he just opted for the, the white pen across the skyline. And just a little fun fact, he hated shooting 
on location. So he absolutely hated that car lot, that used car lot scene. It's, pr- it's probably the, you know, we talked about how he's a perfectionist. It's just probably, you know, having to deal with elements that are out of his control. Where you can control and- a closed set. You can control everything about, you know. So did they build, they built the, I don't know if you know, but mm-hmm. do they build the motel in the house on a lot? Like this is on. At Universal. I is it? I, th- I feel like it is. Yeah. Like it's part of, I feel like I've seen somewhere that it was part of like the Universal tour, which I've never it's done. It's still, but. it's still there. And um, yeah, I believe that was built for it. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't imagine they found something so specific with like a creepy house with like a, my, as he said, there's there's like a six minute long trailer that we watched yeah. for this movie Psycho. And it's like this mild manner, innocent looking little motel. And then you pan up and behind it is this sinister looking house. I, I, I can't imagine that actually exists anymore. <laughs> so it was. I think I read that it was, um, based on like the central valley of california so like that tulare area of isalia like that, that makes that's what it that was that's what it was inspired by so yeah it, you're right it's not a real place anywhere but it's it's inspired by the types of motels you find in the middle of california like if you're driving from la to san francisco and you just need to stop somewhere that's what you would see in in the middle of the state so where it's it's not they don't mention California. It's supposed to be New York, um, right? I believe. No, no. This is um, uh, Arizona. You're or right. No, this is it is California. She's coming from. This is like Bakersfieldy. It is Central California. I don't know why I said New York. That was. I think maybe I had rear window still on my mind because I was mentioning rattling off all the titles. You're right. Yeah, she's coming from Arizona, and she's trying to get to somewhere on like the central part of california i can't remember the name of the town so yeah it matches even... up with uh with with what they were trying to draw their inspiration from which i think they nailed it i've driven through that boring section of the state on it the five boring, yeah um so the other super controversial thing about the on-screen moments um besides the sexuality is apparently this is the first film like television or or movie depiction of someone flushing a toilet on screen which is fascinating that it was a thing because you don't think about you know that you couldn't (laughs) even see it like any bathroom shot couldn't have a toilet so it's like that's such a funny thing in in modern concepts but it's not like there was waste in the toilet that she flushed um no she's flushing down Instead of throwing something in the trash, he flushes something down the toilet. And yeah, that act of flushing and showing the actual flush and everything going. I I mean, it's comical to us now, but... <laughs> at the time, at it the was time, scandalous, apparently. Yeah. Also, okay... So again, with with all this scandal, so and you know, there's like censors. I mean, I feel like we're this doesn't exist anymore. Like no one's censoring anything. They just slap a rating onto it and you know, like show it on channels. It's not or what streaming. it used to be at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, sure. people were very specific, but so according to a 1990 book, um, it's Alfred Hitchcock in the Making of Psycho. 
I read this online, but according to this book, the censors in charge of enforcing the production code um, were wrestling with Hitchcock because some of them insisted that they could see one of Janet Lee's breasts in the film, in the shower scene. And now Hitchcock apparently held onto the print for several days and he didn't touch it. Mm-hmm. And he resubmitted it for approval. He didn't change it, but he resubmitted it for approval. And each of the censors reversed their positions. Like those who had previously seen the breasts, now they didn't. And those who hadn't, now they did. And then they passed the film after the director, like he, the Hitchcock removed one shot that showed the buttocks of Jack. Oh, yes. I actually did. So in that documentary, uh, I told you about the... Um the making of psycho so that was supposed to be one of the last shots in that shower scene was it was a pan or um i keep saying pan out just like a zoom out of like a bird's eye view of the crime scene with the pair of her butt yeah and then okay i believe it was just storyboarded i don't know if it was actually shot but that was that was talked about of it that well, according being, to this he actually r- removed it okay so, so it was would, shot yeah like they would I, they would like they passed the film because he removed that and it was that was her stand-in janet lee stand okay apparently um but they removed it so that they they were like okay fine we'll give it to you and then also they were really upset by the opening like the lovers in bed mm-hmm. So Hitchcock said that if they let him keep the shower scene, he would reshoot the opening with them on the set. So like, you come to the set, we'll reshoot it. Okay. None of none of the board members showed up. <laughs> so for the reshoot, so he just left it as it was. Okay. So he got away with it too. And then um Wait, I think I'm trying to see if I had any more controversy. No, that was that was the controversies I wrote down. But um, it's just fascinating how he he is kind of almost like diabolical and it's like, oh, OK, I'll I just I, I like how he kind of worked the system and playing with people's minds like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, I'll change it. And then he doesn't change it. And they feel like because because you told me you changed it, I'm seeing something different proves that it you're just. Oh, yeah, I mean, look at things. how many people thought they saw boobs and you don't. Yeah. It just it. it completely manipulates you into filling in the gaps that weren't actually there um so, so I, he pushed the boundaries i appreciate that about alfred hitchcock so going off on his perfectionism something that i i i have to admit i laughed i do feel for the crew that got stuck that got stuck with this gaff that they had a i mean thankfully they Hitchcock realized it, realized the mistake before having to reshoot the whole thing. But so when they were filming the the rain scene outside the Bates Motel, like when she drives up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they spend all this time trying to set, you know, set the mood, get the the hoses or whatever to, to emulate rain, the lighting, everything, everyone's in set and Hitchcock's like, um, you forgot an important detail. And, and the guy in charge is like, like, I, what could, I did everything I was supposed to, what? So in the middle of this rainstorm, there's a big old full moon next to the base motel or next to the, the house. So like, how is there going to be a full moon if it's like 
in the middle of a rainstorm. So like, he's like, oh my God, I have to. So the crew managed to like physically block out the, the full moon during the storm. This, you know, quote unquote storm. So I don't know how they blocked it, but they physically had to kind of block out the moon so that they could oh, wow. sell this scene of, of the rainstorm. Which I think is really, yeah. Uh, I mean, nowadays, it probably wouldn't, you'd, what do the kids say? Just fix it in post. <laughs> right. But yeah, at the time, the you thing. had a, yeah. yeah, it was not a thing. Um, oh, you know how Alfred Hitchcock is famous for his cameos in his films, which yes. I completely forgot about when I started watching this. I forgot to look. Oh, so uh-huh. I, I actually like looked it up later and it was when I was reading it was talking about his cameo and I was like oh man I didn't even catch it so it's really early in the film and and I guess the reason he did that is because at this point he knew people were going to be looking out for him and didn't want to he wanted to kind of get it over with early so they didn't like it didn't take their attention away from the plot right so it's it's very early on in the film oh, and, and actually um, speaking of early he's on just in standing the film, outside huh I said uh Speaking of early on in the film, I didn't know that as Alfred Hitchcock's daughter is the office mate of Janet Lee while they're talking about like, you know, when they're both at work. I didn't know that was. Oh, his... I had. Yeah. I had no idea that was his daughter. That's really cool. Yeah. And actually, that's the that office is where he's standing outside of. Um, If you're looking for his cameo, like she's coming in the first time she goes into her office at the near the beginning of the film. Right. The second scene in the film, really. He's standing outside the office. So it's just a real quick little glimpse of him standing on the sidewalk. You'll see his famous silhouette. So are we going to talk about uh, to wrap up the the shower scene? Are we going to talk about some spoilers? And do we warn people this is spoiler? Because there's some technical um there's some technical things that i think are worth mentioning that yeah should we give ourselves like 90 seconds or no two minutes of spoilers i'll set a timer okay so so if you don't want to everyone if you fast forward two minutes from this point then you won't hear any spoilers and then I can throw in uh, the one last controversy I wanted to talk about. Okay. At the very, very end of the film. But I couldn't mention it because it's a spoiler. Okay. So, so... tell us when the two minutes starts. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Um, stopwatch. Okay. No, I'm actually going to set a timer so it goes off because I'll forget to look. And then. <laughs> We're 10 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On your mark, get set, go. All right. So spoiler. So at um at the end of the shower scene when she's killed and she's flopped over pulled the curtain down everything um there's that scene that kind of zooms out from her from her dead eyes and something i didn't think about is autofocus hadn't been invented yet so whoever the cameraman whoever's zooming out has to keep focusing as zooming out which I don't remember how many takes Janet Lee said um, had to be taken, but like you know, she's she's not blinking, she's not doing. She's like it. It was one of the most excruciating things to film because you can't blink. You're in this awkward position. Her face is next to the toilet that 
controversial yeah, toilet. Yeah, she's like you know? slumped over the tub with her face shoved into the ground, so, basically. So again, it's just a new appreciation for how far technology has come. It's just the idea of not having autofocus for for a, such a technical shot like okay, we that. Have 50 seconds. Oh my god. So contact lenses were supposed to be used to show that her eyes were dilated as they do when you die. But it would have taken her six weeks to get used to the fit of the contact lens. So it just got scrapped. And mm. along the, that line, um, so ophthalmologist contacted him about like, hey, she's clearly not dead because your eyes are supposed to dilate. So they started using, in his future films, he started using a solution that would take care of that problem. So it was all, he knew it was going to be a problem. Um, and they well, they tried use to, belladonna drops, right? To keep your pupils from... In the future, yeah. Yeah, from dilating. So if you have... Yeah, we have three seconds, two seconds, one second. Two minutes goes really fast. It went so fast. Okay, so I apologize. So when we talk about the ending, set another timer so you could share what you wanted to say. Uh, well, okay. All right. So, so if you're welcome back, if you were skipping ahead for spoilers, we're actually going to, okay, I'm going to give myself a minute because this is super fast. Um, okay. So one minute from starting from right now, I'm going to press start. Okay. So one of the controversial things with Psycho besides like sexual things uh, is at the end of the film or it doesn't even matter where I say where it is in the film if you've seen it or not but there there's some gender bending cross-dressing like Norman Bates is is dressed up like a female and at the very end of the film they they talk about like with you know an an ignorant cop is like oh he's a transvestite because he's cross-dressing and and the the psychiatrist explains like no like he honestly believes he's you know someone else that's why he's dressing up i still can't fully say mm-hmm. <laughs> like i can't in my heart of hearts say it but but even like um, at that a, point had transvestite even been said on film no it hadn't yeah it, it, and so this was a totally new concept and they're trying and i, I appreciate that they kind of corrected that that inaccuracy about gender bending or cross-dressing okay time's up perfect timing <laughs> Okay, welcome back. Welcome back. You're just joining us. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, that's it for for those like super spoilers. Um, so so back to like some of the camera placements of of the film. So something that had been used in other Hitchcock films is how um cameras placed from above, and then emulating falling scenes with kind of double. I don't know if it was like a double plate. It wasn't. It was pre-green screen, so they had to shoot, like, certain falling scenes with imposing someone that was just kind of on a chair and just kind of flailing, emulating the, the, the action of falling, and then merging that with a shot that was from above coming down. I'm sure there are technical terms for all of this. I apologize <laughs> to anyone in the industry who's listening. Um... But I, I mean, they kind of look silly now just because we're so conditioned to appreciate good CGI. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation with, you know, when is too much CGI too mm-hmm. much. But, you know, the, the 
going back to the roots of how to manipulate a, a backwards falling scene is something that's done again in this. And, you know, with having to place cameras in cages and hanging them on rails, it's, I think you just have to, to appreciate all the processes that had to be taken place in order to, for us to move into, to catch up with the technology and finally allow directors to see what they haven't, not to let, um, how do I want to say it? Like without having to, to be held back. By the technical yeah, part, they, you know? it's they're they're figuring the workarounds for like their artistic vision, even though the technology is not there. That's what I appreciate about appreciate about so many classic films, yes, especially in the silent era, or you look at like Charlie Chaplin and um, Buster Keaton movies, and 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 all those things, or even like The Invisible Man, right? Or any of those kind of movies where you you're looking at these these effects and sometimes even I marvel at how how they accomplished how did how did they make that work right and you know it's like did they figure out how to use different lenses and just like really basic movie technology before you had any digital help how mm-hmm. did they accomplish this look and I always find that stuff really fascinating so those those workarounds those creative workarounds is is really cool because you you really have this vision of how you want something to happen and I, I really appreciate that. So do you have any final thoughts about um, Psycho as a movie? Or did you have any other... I mean, there's so facts? much to talk about. I could see how there's been a million interviews and documentaries yeah. on this. I feel we could yeah, talk there's about so this for like much another about, hour. <laughs> like, yeah, there's so much about this film. There's all kinds. I mean, there's books about it. There's documentaries. I mean, there's... This film is one of the most analyzed pieces of filmmaking and it's amazing how much there is so we've barely brushed the surface and just to bring um, it back full circle i mean it it is known as or considered as one of the oscar worst oscar snubs of all time i agree with that i can't believe they didn't win anything i didn't know that but i guess it's just a timing thing and again the studio didn't really think this film was going to be anything um I don't know. And when it comes he just, to he knew like when it comes to you know thriller and superhero I just horror those genres just tend to get ignored anyway it's very rare that they're even acknowledged so for it, I guess to for it to even be acknowledged back then is a huge thing that was the win but still you know knowing how influential this film has been it's it will forever be seen as a snub um I mean so there's a ton we didn't talk about, but overall, if you know someone who's never seen the film, don't tell them anything. Just just set a set a time aside to watch this via Zoom, or um, if they're in your household, just just make some time to watch it together. Yeah, this is it's a really good movie. It's just enjoyable to watch. It is suspicious suspenseful and fascinating and it's just it's a great film overall and you really even though I'd seen it I it was amazing how because it's been a while how fresh Mm -hmm. this was and I just 
I, I really enjoyed watching it. I didn't think I was going to. I really was on the, oh, this is overrated. And right. Like, mm. I w- kind of went into it with. Kind of Citizen Kane. Like, really? That one? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I'm really not that into Citizen Kane, honestly. Like, Casablanca wins out a hundredfold. For you. To- yeah. To- yeah. But anyway. Um, but no, Psycho, it's just, again, with a, like, this is another landmark in the horror genre, but it's just, it's a good movie. It's still, and it, the, the suspense holds up. Like, Nosferatu is, the suspense in some ways doesn't hold up. Because again, for me, there was some comedic things. It's very archaic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But this still, the the filmmaking the, is, it's there. It's solid. It's, it's a great experience. So I highly recommend watching this. You're going to get into it. You're gonna wonder what's gonna happen, um, and and all the imagery. You know, hopefully, it hasn't been spoiled for you. And all the imagery is intentional. I mean, some of the things we didn't talk about are like you know some of the props, some of the 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 mannerisms that each of the characters have. Everything is intentional. So you know, if you want to, I mean, the the super fans already know everything we haven't mentioned. Um, but, you know, after you do watch that or after whoever you introduce this film to has watched it, definitely encourage them to to look into the making of. And that um, documentary, Making of Psycho, is something would make a great companion to this after you watched the film or rewatched the film. So absolutely not overrated, worth all the hype and magical if you don't know the the um the spoilers and magical yeah, the, if you're with someone really shocking mm-hmm. i was i was like oh shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> i didn't you know and i like i said i kind of knew like a, i remembered like a vague ending yeah but it the how everything worked together and and it, i was like oh oh damn like i would already even though i'd already seen it it would have been so long right it still kind of got me so it's uh Go check it out. Yes. Nosferatu. Please. Psycho. So um, next episode, I think we were going to talk, uh, we were going to discuss films that were in the uh, feel good drama section. But the touch <laughs> Which of film sports? were you recommending? Oh my God. Touch of sports? My. Which is your film? All time favorite, Rocky. Ah, I saw the statue. Oh, I'm so jealous. I haven't been to Philadelphia. At the art I museum, was, I I was in Philly for like six months, and um, I I made sure to make a trip to the museum. There was a Picasso exhibit, which was oh, super cool, fun. Um, but the statue, besides having a huge line outside of it and people selling T-shirts, I can't wait to be part of that line. <laughs> um, it's really big. It's like lo- way larger than life. I was shocked. I never pictured it as that large, but anyway we'll talk about that next time but uh, yeah so my yeah we'll talk about my only experience with philadelphia so far but it is it is on my film going bucket list to go to the art museum <laughs> and run up the stairs it's a beautiful and everything. museum and so the um, your film recommendation and it's really our film recommendation because we both absolutely love this movie. But this is one of my favorites. Like, if it's on, I don't care where it is in the film. I'm going to watch it. I love this movie. It's The Sting. Yeah. 
Um, it's so good. I'm so excited. We're we're really stoked about this next episode because we could really use some like feel good film. Feel good <laughs> distraction, all of the above. <laughs> just yeah, just we want to feel good. Um, so yes, yeah, so please make sure to check out our website at moviemenupodcast.com. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time, stay classy. Ha 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 ha!